We're going to look at the 11th chapter of 2 Kings tonight. And if I had to put a title on tonight's message, which I, I think the, the thing that could be appropriate is The Return of the King. The Return of the King, and that's certainly a title that if you're a, a Tolkien fan, uh, you know that he wrote three books, uh, The Lord of the Rings, and the very last one was The Return of the King. And you remember in that uh, just the, uh, the usurpation of, of authority that the, the dark side had taken. And then finally in that last book, You know, Aragorn comes back to the throne and, and, and recovers it from evil. And uh, tonight we will see that very same thing, uh, certainly one of the themes in this passage tonight. And, um, you know, one of the things about kings that I find to be really discouraging, but yet um, certainly instructional for us, is, is just to see the the depravity of man, and, and, and just to see the very best that man can do. And, you know, trying to govern and trying to do things, what they think is right, and, and yet not having a heart that's completely given over to Christ. And, and thus there's a double-mindedness in the heart of a person. And you may find yourself being in that position too, that if you're not completely given over to Christ and you're, you're daily not in the word, you're maybe daily not praying to God, maybe daily not in fellowship with other Christians or, or just really pursuing him like David would do, he would pursue him with all of his heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And, and I believe that God wants us to be those people that are after his own heart. And when you're after God's heart, um, you're never going to be disappointed because he can't disappoint you. Men and women will disappoint you. Friends will disappoint you. Your own family will disappoint you. The church will even disappoint you. But there is one who will never disappoint, and that's Jesus Christ. And he may not, he may not give you, show up at the exact time that you may want him to. His relief or his resources in your life may not come at the exact moment when you desire, but when God wants to show up, he does so in a wonderful way. And there's a reason for his delay. Even when he delayed to go see Lazarus, he waited. He could have showed up and he could have brought his friend to life and, and even prevented him from dying. But you remember, he says, no, we got to wait a couple days. And why was that? Because Christ was going to be glorified in this man, in and through him. It was going to be one of those things that Jesus would do to prove that he is who the prophets had for hundreds and even a few thousand years had told that he was. He would, he would prove that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And as the Messiah, he would be able to control nature. He would be able to control uh, life whether and, and things that are visible and invisible. And we see that as we've gone through the gospel of Matthew, just how he had power over the things that are visible and the things unseen. As he drove those demons, they asked permission of what they could do and where they could go. And he gave the permission for them. Remember those swine. He gave the permission for those demons to go into the swine. He has complete control. Never lose sight of that, especially in the world that we live in today that just seems to be coming apart at it seems. Christian, do you know that the Bible has been talking about this time that we're entering into? I don't know how long. I don't know much uh, other than I, I know the end of the event. I know the end of what's coming 
and folks were, were, were getting there. And don't be discouraged, because I have been discouraged, I'll be honest with you. And I would ask for your forgiveness, because, you know, I've walked around sometimes with a long face and, and struggled with things, and, and I apologize for that. It's never easy to go through something, even though you know what's going to happen. Do you understand? You know what I'm talking about? You can, be, you can know you're going to go through something difficult, but it's not until you get in the middle of it, you're like, oh man, I really hate this. I really am not enjoying this, Lord. Can you choose somebody else? Can you come back at a different time? You know, can you allow this thing to happen at a different time when it's convenient for me, you know, and it never is convenient for me because who wants difficult times? And so the return of the king is coming. Jesus is on his way. And uh, he's on his way, he's coming, and we can be uh, encouraged in that, to know that he is going to fulfill the promises that he has made to his church. He cannot lie, and so he will do exactly and precisely what he said he was going to do. He's never lied to us, and, most, and everything, actually, that, he has, that has been told, foretold of him, uh, many of those things have already come to pass, and yet there's a lot ahead of us, folks. We've got a lot to look forward to, and so I am looking forward to that, and I can't wait for the return of the king. And tonight we're going to see that Athaliah, who was, remember Athaliah was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, this, this husband and wife, uh, Ahab being the king of Israel, and Jezebel, his wife, who was a very power-hungry, demon-worshipping woman, and actually both of them were, just a horrible couple. And here they are, and, one of, and, the, and the Bible gives a lot of space to the things that they did because God wants to make sure that this is recorded for us to learn from and for the children of Israel to learn from. But so Athaliah was the result, the, 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 the result of this union of Ahab and Jezebel. They gave birth to a daughter. Her name was Athaliah. But instead of marrying somebody in the upper part of Israel, she ends up marrying Jehoram, who we looked at the last couple of weeks. He was the king of Judah. And now he marries this daughter whose family has been involved in idolatry for, for some time, demon worship. And what is a good Jew like Jehoram, you know, hooking up with this woman, <laughs> Athaliah, this woman who could have turned from her sin and not been like her father and her mother, but like the old adage says, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And she was just as, as horrible as her parents. And we're going to see tonight that after Yehu, remember, murders Jehoram, and he mur murders um, uh, Ahaziah, the next king, he murders all of Ahab's relatives and sons and, and all of their acquaintances. And Jezebel, or I'm sorry, uh, Athaliah, once she realizes that her son Ahaziah is dead, she takes the throne and puts herself on the throne. Never before has this happened in Israel where a woman has taken the throne and... Um, and again, it has nothing to do with her ability. We know that God, you know, he, he, 
He calls men to those positions like he does in the church. He calls men to be pastors, not women. It's not because a woman is not capable. It has nothing to do with her spirituality. It has nothing to do with her capability or anything like that or her gifts or talents. It's all about God's order. And God's order was always for the man to be the head of the home. And hopefully that man is sensitive to the Spirit of God where he respects his wife, loves her, and treats her the way he ought to. And hopefully he lays down his life for his family as Christ laid down his life for the church. And he's also called men to those kinds of leadership positions. And yet, learning from her mother, no doubt, usurping authority, she did it with Ahab. She was really the one who was the authority in the family. And Athaliah learns from her mother and becomes just like her. When she could have turned and been something different, she just continues to model what her mother has done for her. And we we saw last week that uh, Jezebel came about a horrible death that had been prophesied of her that she would be killed in such a horrible way because of her sin, because of her crimes. And now we're going to see Athaliah, no doubt, the same as her mother, go in the same place. And it's a horrible thing, really, isn't it? And then we see uh, Joash, or Jehoash is his name, but Joash is a shortened name of his, version of his name. We see him coming to the throne, and uh, rightfully so. And so let's look at uh, chapter 11. Let's just, it's a short chapter. Let's just read it, and then we'll come back to it, okay? And um, so notice... It says, then when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehoshabah, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And, And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. And so he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. And in the seventh year... Jehoiada, who was a priest at the time in the temple there, uh, or in, uh, yes, sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and, told, and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. And then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall keep watch over the king's house. One-third shall be at the gate of Seur, and one-third at the gate behind the escorts. And you shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath, with whose were with, with, with those who were going off duty, excuse me, on the Sabbath, and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of hundreds the spears, the shields, which had belonged to King David, that were in the temple of the Lord. And then the escort stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, and all around the king, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, by the altar and the house, 
he brought out the king's son, put the crown upon him, and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar, according to custom. And the leaders and the trumpeteers were by the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, Treason! Treason! And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her. And she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. And then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. And also between the king and the people, and all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by the way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. And then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. And Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. What an amazing thing for a young man. I mean, think of this. He's seven years old. He doesn't hardly know anything. And now he's in the midst of this big conspiracy as Athaliah was just consumed with, with, with uh, lust for power. And she kills all of his brothers, kills anybody who's in the line, in the, in, in the line to be heir of the king. And thank God, Jehosheba saved this little infant. And at that time, he was just a baby. Still in swaddling clothes, surely, and she's hid him away. And protected him. An amazing thing. So let's go back to verse 1 here. So Athaliah, the mother of Ahaz, saw that her son was dead. And she rose and destroyed all of the royal heirs. And, you know, where did she learn such a despicable act? Where did she learn to do such a thing? The kingdom was supposed to go from father to son or to the next heir. And what is she doing killing off the potential heirs? And we know why. Uh, it seems very obvious that her, she had a lust for power. She wanted to be in control. And certain she learned that from her mother, no doubt, from her mother Jezebel. And she learned this from her mother. Do you remember the time when Ahab there was in Jezreel and he saw this vineyard next to his palace and he desired to have the vineyard? He wanted to turn it into a vegetable garden. And the man who owned it was Naboth, and he goes to Naboth, and he asks for the land, and, and Naboth is like, you know, this land belongs to me, and it's to my tribe and to my family. It passes down through my family, and everybody knew that. But Ahab was just a spoiled, can I use the term brat? He wanted that, he wanted that land. And so he goes to his house, he's weeping to his wife, and his wife says, I'll take care of this. 
She goes down. She has Naboth killed. She comes back and says, the land is yours, my love. And, she, and they, they, they take the land from this innocent man. So where did Athaliah learn how to take the reins and to, and to take control? She was a take control kind of girl. She learned it from her mother. And that's kind of sobering, isn't it? You know, as we think about our own lives and our kids and the, the behaviors that we show to our kids. Sometimes they won't listen to what you say, but they'll watch what you do. And that is so important for us because, you know, like the old adage says, you know, talk is cheap. You know, I can tell all I want. I can say, I can quote the scripture, I can do all of this. But if my life is not in alignment with the word of God, if my life is not submitted to the word of God, and, and this is, comes, as I'm, as I'm pointing out to you, uh, the fingers, these, these three fingers on each hand are pointing back at me. And I know this to be true, and it's such an awesome responsibility to be a parent. It means to be circumspect, to watch what you do. Because we do live in a fishbowl, whether we like it or not. We live in a fishbowl. Everyone is watching. Our kids, our, 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 um, everybody in the church, people are watching our behavior. So, verse 2, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, the sister of Ahaziah, she comes and she takes, a, uh, she takes the young son, you know, little guy, little infant. She takes him and hides him away. And, um, and David's dynasty was supposed to continue through his line. It, you'll notice that in, in, in the, the line of Judah, in, in, the, in the southern two tribes, that dynasty was never broken it always went from the father to the son and from his son to his son to his son. And that's a dynasty. It, it, never, it was unbroken. And the, the, unfortunately, the northern ten tribes, they had a broken dynasty. There were nine different dynasties, at least, up in the uh, northern part where it didn't succeed like that. But David's dynasty was very specific. God made sure that he would be faithful to the word that he spoke to David long ago when he made a covenant with him. And we'll look at that tonight. But uh, it was supposed to be preserved and continue to go. And it was, but there was this little blip on the radar screen. And that blip was Athaliah, seeking to take control over Judah. You know, Jehoshaphat's actions remind me a lot of Miriam. Remember when they were going to kill all the, uh, all the um, uh, Israel boys in Egypt and, and her mother, uh, Moses' mother, put him in a little uh, a thrush and, and put him in a basket and floated him down the river. And, and thank God his sister Miriam was watching and she saw, you know, Pharaoh's daughter pick, you know, there by the water and, and seeing the baby crying and she, her heart was melted, just a, a woman's um, intuition, her you know, motherly love kind of thing. And, and Miriam intercedes and says, hey, I know a woman who could, who could nurse her for you. And he gives her back to his mother, <laughs> which is a really cool thing. But I see Jehoshaphat kind of acting in the same way, this wonderful proxy to preserve that uh, seed of, of David and thank God for her. Thank God for her. So verse 3, she was hidden. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. And uh, it makes you wonder how this could have happened and why no one else intervened any sooner. For, so for six years, this woman is on the throne of Judah 
reigning when she was unlawfully there to begin with. And, um, but she was a powerful woman. She came from a powerful family. She had connections, something she no doubt learned from her mother. It's all about the connections. It's all about the It's who you know. It's who you know. And Athaliah's lust for power was not uncommon. Many people have a lust for power, even though they may not be ready or even called to a position that they may desire, but it doesn't keep people from lusting for it and, and striving to take that place of leadership, whether it's in the church or even in a, in a company, a Fortune 500 company. It doesn't matter that these things happen. And, uh, but she was not to do it. But she did, and God allowed it for a season. And that season was six years. Satan filled her heart, and she took the bait. Unlike our Savior, remember in Matthew chapter 4, it tells us that when the very last temptation that the devil brought Jesus to was, it says again, and this is in Matthew 4 verse 8, again the devil took Jesus on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and and Jesus says, this is not the way I'm going to save the world through this means. Thank you for the rabbit trail, but my, my life, my ministry is through the cross, not through some promise that you make to me. And he had to go to the cross. It was essential. It had been prophesied. Only the blood of God can forgive the sin of of, of mine and, and your sin, right? Only a perfect sacrifice. That's why Jesus died once on the cross, not several times. He died once. There was no need for any more animal sacrifices. His sacrifice was sufficient the first time and only time because he was Almighty God and come in human flesh. But Athaliah, she took that bait from Satan. He offered her a kingdom. He says, well, if you want that kingdom, Athaliah, you've got to kill his sons. You've got to kill his sons. And she says, I'm on it. And so she goes after it. And Satan sets her up. And God allows it for a season. Already serving Satan. She'd already been serving Satan at his feet. She was wholly given over to idolatry, continuing in Baalism, serving Baal, this uh, Canaanite deity, just like her idolatrous parents, Ahab and Jezebel. Satan offered Athaliah the kingdom of Judah, and she killed and usurped for that authority and held a tight grip on it for six years. I'm not going to let it go. And had not God intervened, she would have continued to reign until some man, someone who had the courage to stand up to this evil woman and take her out of the picture. And God allowed it for a season. But her doom was sure, just like her mother's Jezebel was. And it's true that Satan will do anything to thwart the everlasting kingdom of God that God had promised to David and his descendants. Remember the prophetic word spoken to Jacob, to his son, Judah? As Jacob lay dying and as his last um, ministry to all of his sons, he said to his son Judah, specifically in Genesis 49 verse 10, what did he tell him? 
He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The right to rule shall not depart from Judah. That wasn't said of the tribe of Ephraim. It wasn't said of Issachar or or any of the other tribes. It was specifically to Judah because God had a plan all the way back in the book of Genesis that through the line of Judah, Judah would be the one, through David and then through Jesus Christ, it was very clear. And all along that path, Satan has been trying to wipe out the seed of Judah. Once he got load of this verse, actually when he heard in the garden in Genesis 3 verse 15, the seed of the woman, as soon as he heard about the seed of the woman, he began his attack on mankind. And it wasn't until later that it became more refined for Satan to understand. He just wanted to kill because he wanted to protect, and he wanted to kill and protect his own uh, future, if you will. But God told him, this seed of the woman's going to crush your head one day. You're going to be destroyed, but you're going to be eternally destroyed. You're going to be continually being destroyed in the lake of fire. And as soon as Satan understood that, the war against humanity began. And he went after David's descendants. And certainly Athaliah, inspired by Satan, usurps the throne, thinking, the devil in her, thinking that somehow I've interrupted David's, or God's promise to David. And God's going, oh, that's okay. Enjoy it for six years. Because I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I love that about God. When he says something, it's going to come to pass. And man cannot thwart the plan of God. No matter how evil. Remember God's promise. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Shiloh, a, a, a euphemism for the Son of God, the Messiah. And then remember God's promise to David. And I've said this so much, but I, I can't escape this promise of David because there's so much hinging on this. Remember when God spoke to David, and he says, when you're, and this is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. He says, when your days are fulfilled, David, and you rest with your fathers, when you finally die i will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and i will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever who was that person certainly in the in the in the very near future it would be solomon who would build the house of the lord he would be but then he says something really interesting that i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever that means it's a continual thing and david's dynasty continued And do you think Satan understood that? Do you think that's why he inspired Athaliah to insert herself into the line to somehow ruin God's plan? Ah, It didn't work. (laughs) Try as she might. Try as he might, whoever that is, even the Antichrist, yet coming in the future. He's going to try very hard. But he's going to fail miserably. He says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of man. But notice, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house, notice, verse 16, this is so important. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Not, until, not until you die at the 70 years of age. Not until, forever. That means that even when... Uh, you know, the end comes, it's going to be forever. 
forever. Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He repeats it again to emphasize the fact, don't worry. And do you think Satan was there when God was speaking to David and giving him that promise through the prophet? Do you think that a demon was listening in and going, oh, so that's how it's going to be. Well, I'm going to go after David. And didn't he go after David? <laughs> he incited David to do these things. And David, at, at weak points, really made some really bad mistakes. But God would ultimately restore the kingdom of David's descendant. Even though Athaliah was on the throne now, Joash, God would replace Athaliah with Joash and then finally, or at least at that time, crush the plan, the plot of Satan again. Satan is plotted forever against mankind and specifically through Judah. Even tried to kill Jesus in the, in, the, in the 40 years or 40 days in the wilderness, remember, in his temptation. He just would not give up. And guess what? He's not going to give up. That's why he hates us. Satan hates us. But guess what? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Never forget that because you plus God is a majority. But you minus God, you are a sitting duck. You are a sitting duck if you don't have Christ in you. And if that scares you, that's good because fear brought me to the kingdom. <laughs> it did. When somebody told me that, I'm like, oh, Lord, I want, be, I want to be yours. I'll do anything you want me to do, Lord. I don't want to be, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be that person. And so God is going to ultimately restore him as we saw tonight. But David's dynasty was never destroyed. It was interrupted for six years. But it will continue even when Jesus comes back at his second coming. There hasn't been a, Jew, a Jewish king on the throne in Jerusalem for quite a long time after Jesus. But when he comes back, after the thousand-year reign, he's going to set up his kingdom again on this earth, fulfilling all of those Old Testament prophets and the Davidic covenant that God had given to David. So let's go back at the verse 4. Now it says, in the seventh year, Jehoiada, thank God for this faithful priest, in the seventh year, meaning the seventh year of this young boy, Joash, so now he's seven years of age, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts, brought them into the house of the Lord, and he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Can you imagine how excited they were to see there was an heir indeed? <laughs> Athaliah didn't kill everybody. She had a lot of blood on her hands, but this guy, this young man was saved. And now, you, can you imagine seeing their eyes wide open and going, oh my goodness. And he has to take an oath from them. Do you see that this heir is the throne? He's the heir to the throne, guys. She does not belong on that throne. So let's take an oath right now. We're going to remove her and we're going to put Joash back on the throne, the rightful heir to the throne of his father. 
And then, verse 5, he commanded them, saying, this is what you shall do. And he says, one-third of you shall come on the duty of the Sabbath, keep, and you shall keep watching over the king's house. One-third of you shall be at the gate of Seur. These are very specific places in Israel. And one-third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you shall go off duty on the Sabbath, shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes within range, let him be shot to death. Let him be put to death. Actually, they didn't, I don't know. They, they probably did it with swords. I was thinking of, an, of a bow and arrow, but I mean, they didn't have you know, handguns back then. Um, so each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath. So this was a concerted effort. And the priests gave the captains of hundreds the spears, the shields, which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. And then the escort stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, and all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar of the house. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on his head, and gave him the testimony. And they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. But notice they gave him the testimony. As a new king, as a young boy, he was seven years old, and they anoint him, they put the crown on his head, and they give him a copy. They give him a Bible. <laughs> they give him the Old Testament, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those were the things they had. And he would read, make his own copy of those things. It tells us in Deuteronomy 17 that that's what kings were supposed to do. When they came into their kingship, they were to take the, the scrolls from the scribes and they were to transcribe their own copy in their own writing. And they were to read it that they might not depart from the law of God. And Joash, this, this young boy who had a great regent, if you will, a great role model, this Jehoiada the priest. What a wonderful man he was. You know, think of this. He could, as a priest, he could have said, you know, I'm going to take Athaliah off the throne and I'm going to put myself on there. Everybody respected him, but what did he do? He knew God's plan. He knew God's order. And he's like, no, I got to remove her so he can put the rightful king on the throne so that we can return the king to the throne. And what an awesome man he is. I, I, I can't wait to meet this man. I want to shake his hand and say, thank you for being so faithful. He was truly the salt of the earth. One whom the world was not worthy. Do you remember that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38? Speaking of the martyrs of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit tells us there that of whom the world was not worthy. Think of that. These people who ran around in sackcloth and ashes and they hid in dens of caves and people hunted them down for sport and they hated them and persecuted them and killed them. And the Lord says, the world was not worthy of these people. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The world was not worthy of them. And I don't think the world was worthy of Jehoiada. And because Joash was so young, again, seven years old when he began to reign, Jehoiada was there as like a regent in a sense until Joash was old enough to make decisions for himself. And we see this in the scripture and we're going to look at it in just a second because Jehoiada was instrumental in doing what the young king could not do at that time because of his age, because of his lack of experience and understanding. 
And Jehoiada arranged to have him put on the throne. And he did other things. You might want to write these scriptures down. I'm just going to read them to you because here we had this wonderful man who was seeing the situation that this very young boy was in. And instead of usurping authority, he set him up. He, he made sure that everything was in place. Sort of like David did for Solomon. You know, David, you can't build me a temple, but your son's going to do it. So David's like, well, if I can't build it myself, then I'm going to give him everything I can. I'm going to give him a leg up so that when he comes to the throne, he's able to assemble it and have all the workers, the blueprint, the materials, everything. And Jehoiada was of that same heart. He's like, all I can do is I can set him up. I can get him in the right place. And notice what it says. Just write these scriptures down and I'll read them to you. In Second Chronicles 23. In fact, I'd encourage you to read 2 Chronicles 23, the chapter, and 24, because it'll shed some light on the things that we're looking at tonight, and we'll give you a little bit more information about what was going on. But notice what it says in 2 Chronicles 23, beginning in verse 16. And notice the, the heart of Jehoiada. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king. Notice this. Between this young boy who didn't really know anything yet, and here's this man setting things right for him knowing that he's the rightful heir, setting things right for him, sort of like a, 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 a great uncle in a sense, you know, like an uncle would do to help his nephew. He was one of those people, that he should be the Lord's people. And all the people went to the temple of Baal and they tore it down, they broke it in pieces and, and they went on. And Joash did, um, did well while Jehoiada was alive because he no doubt respected Jehoiada. It says in Second Chronicles chapter 24, beginning in verse 2, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. It almost, can you feel what's happening, what's coming? <laughs> Just by the very phrase, the way God, the Holy Spirit says this, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. He was doing well while his governor was alive. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Can you hear it in the language? And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he, had, and he had sons and daughters. And so Jehoiada was even instrumental in protecting the line of Judah by securing for him wives that would be good and proper for this young king as he got old and, and, and of age. And, um, and you can almost sense what's happening uh, as Jehoiada passes from the scene. And then, alas, it finally happens. Second Chronicles 24, beginning in verse 15. Let me read it to you. And this is where Jehoi, or Joash excuse me, started off so well, was indeed a reformer king. He tore down the temple of Baal and began to reform and get the people back to Jehovah God, which is the right thing to do. He, he got them back to worshiping God instead of idols. But once Jehoiada, this great man of God, this governor in his life, once that man was passed from the scene, the key turned minor. <laughs> from major to minor, and the lights go dim now from this bright young man who started off so well, unlike so many, ends not so well. Look at what it says in verse 15 of Second Chronicles 24. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel. No doubt, he was a fantastic man, a great character of a man. Man, would to God that every man in America had this kind of testimony. And I pray for that for myself. I pray that for my brothers here. And for the brothers who maybe will listen later. 
You know, let's be those kind of men. Let's no longer let our flesh dictate to us. Let's no longer let our culture just wear us down and cause us to fall into stupid sin. Horrible things that just cause men to lose their marriages and, and, and ruins them and even in their jobs and ruins them and their families and just gives them such a, a, a black mark on their life. Guys, it's time. You know, let's be like this man who wasn't even a king, but he was buried in the city of David, in Zion, among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and they bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them, and therefore, notice this, therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because... Of their trespasses. So now these, after Jehoiada has passed from the scene, now the governor is gone, and now people start to creep in all around Joash and go, "Hey, you remember when we used to? Remember when we used to go up on the hill? We used to have the fires and eat the the really awful things and do those filthy things with our idols. Our fathers did that. Let's do that again." So we, they entice him and he's, there's no more governor in his life now. Now the, the true test of his character, the true test of his kingship finally comes to fruition. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Joash? And that's a question that happens to every male, every woman, every male in this room. There's a defining line at some point in your life and the devil will throw you a bone and say, oh, but you, you know you want this. It's irresistible. You've always been thinking about it and now the opportunity presents itself. What are you going to do? It'll never happen again. Of course, it always does. <laughs> Sin has a way of finding us out. But notice, yet he sent prophets to them, God in his grace, knowing that this weakness in Joash, verse 19, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord and they testified against them, but they would not listen to them. And then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. Notice, this is the son of Jehoiada the priest. This is the, 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 the governor, you know, the governor of Joash. He, he had a son named Zechariah, and Zechariah stood up and he said, Thus says uh, God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you've forsaken the Lord. Be, for he, and he, will, he has also forsaken you. So finally, somebody has the guts to stand up in the midst of this idolatry and say, You know what? You guys are going the wrong way. Turn and repent. And unfortunately, this is a kind of thing that happens. You know, a young king has a governor like Jehoiada. But as he gets older, the governor dies. And then he is, we really find out what he's made of. It's as if his true character was eclipsed by the governor until the governor was taken out of the way. Again, this young man, Joash, started so well. He was a reformer, but after his mentor died, he took to sin like water, like a fish to water, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, which is important for you to read those two chapters, chapters 23 and 24 of 2 Chronicles, because it tells us there that Joash even killed Jehoiada's son, Zechariah. When he started to rebuke them, when Zechariah started to rebuke him, the king says, you know what, I'm done with this. And he kills him. He has him killed. This man who was so great in his life, he kills his son.
You know, it's, it's often true for young people when they get out from their parents' supervision, outside of their parents' accountability, they cast off the yoke of their parents and they go hog wild. They get in their 20s or whatever and they, they, they make the, the, the declaration, I gotta go out to, New, I gotta go out to Los Angeles. I gotta, I gotta find myself. I gotta go to New York City. I gotta go find myself. Well, what are you gonna find? What are you gonna find when you find yourself? You're gonna find yourself a mess. Everybody who's gone to New York City and gone to Los Angeles to find themselves never found themselves at all. They found themselves on a website with, a, with numbers across their chest with an orange jumpsuit. They've either been arrested or they've been, something has happened to them. It never turns out good. And young people, got to be careful of that. Thank God for people like Jehoiada. But we must also be careful. What does it tell us in Proverbs? Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. Keep it, protect it, guard your heart. Guard your heart through your ears, through your eyes, the music you listen to, the things you watch. Guard those things like a sentinel would guard a a place of, of where an army is or where a king is. We have to guard it because there are many things that seek to entangle us. And what does it tell us in, in Jeremiah? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I love the prophet. Gives the, he gives the question, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God immediately replies in verse 10 of the very next verse. And God intervenes and says, I do. I know the heart. I, the Lord, I, Jehovah, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So notice also that it was seven years of despotic rule, and then after the seven years, the king was restored to his rightful place. You think that's a coincidence? Here we have perhaps a little foreshadowing or perhaps even a little type of what we're going to see yet in the future when because Israel will have a despot, the Antichrist, ruling over them for seven years, ruling over them for six years, until the return of the king, Jesus Christ. You know, these things that are in the Bible aren't just there by happenstance. Yes, it is history, but there's a lot of prophecy and types and, and, and things of that nature. And we can see here, just as the Antichrist will take control for the, you know, he, he's going to be a big hot shot on the earth for really three and a half years. But for those seven year period, he's going to be calling the shots. But guess what happens after that seven years? The return of the king. Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, verse 11. The great God from heaven returns to heaven, physically to the earth, with all of the saints with him. And so in this, we even see a type. We see a foreshadowing. It's not perfect, but it's, it's there nonetheless. Athaliah ruling over Judah and Jerusalem, this despotic person until finally the rightful heir to the throne, Joash, was put on the throne. 
But Satan has always sought to pollute and destroy the royal line of David from the very beginning. So notice verse 13. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to the custom. And the leaders and the trumpeteers were by the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And listen to this. So Athaliah, she tears her clothes and says, treason, treason. I mean, what? You weren't even supposed to be there. And yet you're saying treason, treason. You obtained the, the throne by, by murder and deceit and usurpation. And now your throne is being usurped. No, you are the usurper. But isn't that just like the devil? When he does something, he's always pointing the finger at somebody else. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Don't let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. So like mother, like daughter. Like her mother was slain because of her whoredoms and her idolatry, so unfortunately her daughter Athaliah. And God vanquishes this Baalism. Just as 2 Kings chapter 9 ended with the events of Jezebel's death, now here in this chapter, at the end of chapter 11 here, her daughter also comes to her own. Both of them wicked women who are power grabbers and devil worshipers. And what an unfortunate waste of life. Do you think God delighted in that? You know, it's very easy for us to, to think about that, that God is just, he hates people or something. Even those who are wicked to the bone, God doesn't hate people. He loves people. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. What did he tell us in Deuteronomy? Remember when, uh, before Israel came into the land, what did, what did God, speaking through Moses, tell him? He says, I call heaven and earth, this is Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore, choose life. That's always God's response to culture. Choose life. Choose life. Do you think God is pro-life? He is. He's pro-life. He always has been, always will be, because the, the death of one person is something that he is not pleased with. He would rather that that person came to know him. And isn't it true that that is something that you know, we all want to do. We want to be about his work. We want to be about God's business. Especially when we know what we know about that. And especially when we know that there is an eternal resting place for the damned. There is. The Bible speaks of it. No, the church, many pastors in the church don't like to talk about that. They want to tell you how, how, how good you are and, and make you feel really good so that you come back next week. None of this bad news. We don't want to tell them the gospel. We want to tell them the good news, but we don't want to tell them, don't tell them they're sinners because then they won't give. We want to tell them that they're really, you know, you're inherently good. 
you know, the, the Bible says that we're inherently bad. <laughs> From the womb, we are evil. We have a, a nature that is just enmity against God. I saw it in my own daughter when she was just a little girl, and, 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 and my mom saw it in me. We didn't have to teach her how to be selfish one day, all of a sudden. You give her something, and you're like, honey, give it back. And she sticks out the lip even and gives you the look and you know, pulls away. And, you know, and it's like, where did you? She's never seen Kathy and I you know, doing that. I mean, my wife has never come to me and said, you know, here's you know, this, the last uh, Chips Ahoy cookie in the bag. And, and you know, I don't grab it and go, mm. You know, she never saw it in action. Oh, but it's inherent. It's, it's sort of like, I just breathe. I, I'm, I'm there already, you know. And the child just naturally is selfish. Where did she get that? She wasn't even old enough to see any of that demonstrated for her. She wasn't even in school yet to see anybody else doing it. Ah, it's because it's built in. It's like intel. It's in there. Right? It's in there. But see, that's why we share the gospel. That's why we share the truth. And remember that the gospel is good news. But before there's good news, you have to tell them the bad news. Don't ever take the teeth out of the gospel. The teeth of the gospel is I am a sinner and on my way to hell. And yes, that hurts feelings. <laughs> you hurt myself. So what? So what? I'd rather be hurt and told the truth and converted and go to heaven than for nobody to tell me anything and think I could just be who I am and just, you know, just be a good person and finally somehow, by some method, I die and I go to heaven? It doesn't work that way. There's a lot of good people that were more moral than some Christians that are in hell today. Without Christ, but moral. Heaven is or hell is filled with a bunch of moral people. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Ah, but they did it in their mind. You've heard that it said, oh, I've never you know, committed adultery against my wife. Ah, but she thought about it. Well, you know, everybody does. Well, that alone will send you to hell. A lot of moral people, oh, I wouldn't do it in the physical, but I've thought about it, but I won't, we won't talk about that. And no, I don't believe in Christ either, but I'm an upstanding gentleman. I went to Harvard and Yale. And I drive a, you know, a very fine car. You know, a Saab from, you know. And God's like, so what? But he loves the person. He hates the sin. He does. He loves people. We can't forget that. Especially today. Folks, there's a lot more enemies of the church now today than there ever has been. And what are we going to do about that? Are we going to get angry and hateful? I find it in myself at times. And you know, the Bible is true. Didn't it tell us that, didn't Jesus tell us in Matthew 24, he said, the days are going to become so desperate Yet in the future, but they're already there, and it's, it's progressing. But things are going to get so, the iniquity is going to abound so much that the love of many is going to grow cold. And the word he uses is agape. The love of many. Only believers have agape love in their hearts. True agape comes from God. So that really 
wounds me. And I'm like, Lord, I've been such a scoundrel. Even as a believer, I, I have not treated people the way I ought to. I haven't treated my own family the way I ought to. You know, grumbling and complaining and frustrated and angry at times. And, you know, not angry at them, but just angry at things and carrying around a weight on my shoulders. And I'm guilty of that. And God is just like, will you just give that? <laughs> Can't you cast your care upon me? Didn't I say my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Yeah, Lord, but that's for somebody else. No, Mr. Kellogg, it's for you. Oh? Yes, for you. And then to see the smile on his face. It's for you, Mr. Kellogg. It's for you, attendees of Calvary Chapel. So verse 17, we're almost finished. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. Notice who the instigator was in this in restoring things to their right order. It was this wonderful man, this priest, this high priest, the Bible tells us in Chronicles. He was a high priest. He restores the kingdom and then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land. They brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by the way of the gate of the escorts of the king's house. And then he sat on his throne of the king. So, this is, so they take him off the temple mount uh, there looking toward uh, the Mount of Olives and they bring him down. And notice it does say that. It says, and, and they, they brought him uh, down. They went by the way... Uh, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord at the temple down into the Zion, which is that little piece of land right there to the south uh, east of the Temple Mount. It's still there today. You can visit David's uh, palace. They're uncovering that, and they've uncovered a lot of it. You can see it. I've been there. And he comes down, and he sets on the throne there in Zion. He comes down from the Temple Mount. So all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet. And why was it quiet? For they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 22 verse 10? It says this, Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yea, strife and reproach will cease. Something good for us to remember. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Now that Athaliah was dead, I hate, you know, the... Um, there's um, now there's peace notice verse 21 we'll finish here Jehoash notice was seven years old when he became king seven years old what a what, he was so young what a grace that he had a man like Jehoiada this wonderful regent if you will this wonderful role model in his life and and I would encourage you men to be a role model for some young person in the church. Ladies, you older women, be role models for the younger women. Uh, be role models for them. You've been through an, a lot already. You've learned a lot. Maybe you've already reared children. Maybe you're in the process of it right now and you've got a new mother who comes in the church. Draw alongside her. She needs your help. And guys... These young men in the church, find them and, and get to know their dads and, and do things with them. Encourage them. 
Be examples before them. Don't be like all the other men in the world. Be holy examples. Treat them well and, and, and give them everything they need to, to rise above this horrible culture that we're in. Give them, be willing to be a stepping stone for them to crawl upon on your back to reach higher than you went. And hopefully they'll get saved earlier than you did so that their life won't be peppered with so much, so much horrible things and the actions that many of us in this room have done May they not have to go through with it. And you and I, men and women, we have this wonderful grace, this wonderful privilege to be to these young people. You know, even with Isaiah, you know, we were looking at that in prayer the other night, you know, just being, and and you are, Thurman, you're such a great example for your young nephew, you know? And, you know, and, and just to continue to be that, to our kids, our grandkids. So let's do that. Let's be those good examples. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this chapter, even though it was very challenging. And Lord, there's some very discouraging things here, Father. But we thank you, Lord, for people like Jehoiada. Lord, we thank you for these young people that are coming up in the church today, Father. May we never discourage them. May we never keep any of them from coming to you. May we be those encouragers and, Lord, those stepping stones that they can, they can climb up higher than we've ever been, Lord. That's the, the goal, Lord, is to work ourselves out of a job, to work ourselves out of ministry and put these young people in charge, Lord. And so we pray that, God, when they're ready and until they're ready, God, grow them and, and use them, Lord, that they could be like Joash, Lord, at a very young age, being, uh, having such great things modeled for them and men and women who are older and wiser and been walking with you to guide and direct them through the path of it all, Lord. So help us to do that. And Lord, may we, regardless of how old we are, to be willing to be discipled by somebody older than us who's been through things that, we've already, that we're still going through, Lord, to listen to them and to hear what they've got to say and to grow from their experience in the Lord. So Lord, thank you for that. You are in this process of discipleship. And Lord, you want to use us to be disciplers, and also to be discipled ourselves. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we praise you. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight as we go from this place, get us home safely, and bless our day tomorrow, Father. Come what may, we pray that you just keep us all safe, and, and uh, Lord, just bless our days, bless our week, and certainly bless the Sunday as we gather. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, God bless you.